The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, quit blaming your cat for the missing mouse driver and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 237 with guest Rustan Leno, recorded live Sunday, May 6th, 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, trending developers to work smarter, and now, bringing the just-in-time team system class with Joel Semeniuk on-site for your development team. Online at www.franklins.net. And by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. Support is also provided by Developer Express, crafting first-class tools, frameworks, and controls for the .NET developer. Improve your experience online at www.devexpress.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now... The man with a newfound love for little red squigglies, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much, Lawrence, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl Franklin starting a new week here. This week we're at uh, DevTeach, aren't we, Richard? Yes, we are. We're in Montreal at this very moment. I hope we're having a good time. I'm sure we are. JR knows how to make speakers happy. He sure does. And attendees do. Yep. And this happens to be the area of mine and my wife's anniversary. Congratulations. 17 long years. Wasn't that long. <laughs> and uh, so we're, she's up here with me and we're having a good time. Awesome. Hey, we got some good emails here. Yes. The, this uh, Remember this guy who wrote from Romania who was uh, Ovidiu, I think was his name, and uh, he, he counted the you knows in a typical plop production. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, he did. And I like that email a lot, mostly because he found no you knows from me well let's suffice it to say he's a little obsessed <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's just demonstrating his geekiness he wrote well, a program for you know counting yeah he wrote a program for you know counting. let me read the old email he says hello again from romania thank you for reading my email i got a lot of bragging to do these next few days Carl, you actually spelled my name right the first time. Why, why, why did you correct yourself? I think he meant pronounced. Yes. Uh, you wanted a phonetic spelling, so here it is, and he sent me a link to a WMA file. Sorry for the low-quality sound. I used the microphone on the laptop. Here's to Richard. You wanted the you know numbers. Here they are. <laughs> for .NET Rocks 235 on Ajax. 
show number 235, Carl right. had eight, and he lists the times. Oh, yes. No, he logged them all. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> cuckoo, cuckoo. <laughs> Come on. That's hilarious. Richard had zero. Congratulations. Rama had one. Uh, Garvin had one, and David had two. So it uh, appears that I am the worst offender of the you know principle, apparently. Now, that doesn't even come close to the later analysis. Yeah, he says, and of course the classic, you know, .NET rocks would not even be possible today if it weren't for at 5359. He says, note, I've taken out the you knows from the part where you read my email and from your comments while reading it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> then he says, and this is what you're talking about. After doing this, I started working on the Hansel Minutes 63 file shows 63 but i got extremely bored i remembered then that i'm a coder so obviously i decided to write an app that manages the counting since your transcripts are not usually available soon after the recording the only thing i could do is listen to the shows and press a couple of buttons what he means is that it takes us uh i don't know a week or so to get a transcript online right sometimes longer he says that my normal job I work with Visual Studio 2005, .NET 2.0, and SQL Server 2005. So now I just have the perfect opportunity to make a leap into .NET 3.0. This is my first ever WPF application. You can download it from shrinkster.com slash OXU. Uh, I've also uploaded a screenshot at shrinkster.com slash OXV. The results for Hansel Minutes 63 MP3 are available at shrinkster.com slash OXT. And if you go there, he's got this. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is nuts. I'm sorry. But he's got a table with a person, Scott, Scott Guthrie, and Jason, the time that it's spoken, the density per minute, and the number of you knows. The density per minute on Jason is pretty awesome. He only spoke for six minutes, and in six minutes, he got 40 you knows in there. But Scott Guthrie had 52 minutes. But he spoke um, for 52 se you almost 17 minutes. He spoke for 17 minutes with 52 you knows. That's right. <laughs> so Jason has the highest density. It's awesome. <laughs> it's like every... You look at the, at the timeline, because of course, he has the times of every you know... <laughs> And they're every five or six seconds. It's insane. <laughs> Ovidu, you are crazy. Thank you. Absolutely crazy. And, and then he says, uh, I couldn't stand listening to the Mix 07 keynote again, so Ray Ozzy's density of you knows per minute will still remain a mystery for now. <laughs> <laughs> you want, he says, you once had a talk about licensing small applications that are posted on the internet. Therefore, I've licensed it to you so you can do whatever you want with it. I hope you enjoy looking through the code, and if you find something useful or interesting, uh, you let me know. Keep up the great work. Ovidu DNSQ. And Ovidu, with my license, I hereby uh, cast it to the public domain. <laughs> <laughs> In exchange for a .NET Rocks mug. Oh, I think he needs a hoodie or something. Uh, yeah, I think he qualifies Maybe a polo shirt, even. Got to ship it to Romania. That'll be fun. Well, we'll do it. That was a great email. I have a quick one, which is very relevant to what we're doing right now. It's from Brian Linden, and he says, uh, I don't know if this show is pre-recorded and you guys are just airing it, but I would love you to discuss just one facet. 
We argue all the time whether it's better to use dynamic SQL or stored procs. What are the pros and cons? I understand the old pros and cons like dynamic SQL is more bandwidth over the wire, which sure seems pretty small, and dynamic SQL doesn't get pre-compiled execution plans, which doesn't really seem to be the case any longer. We see these videos about Link, and it seems as if Microsoft is going with dynamic SQL. Some people I talk to say that stored procs aren't going to be used anymore. If you guys could list a couple of pros and cons, I, which really means we, would be grateful. Brian from Sacramento. And it sounds like a great topic to add to the ORM Smackdown. Yeah, you can bet we're going to be talking about that. So you'll have to listen for the DevTeach show. Yeah, so coming up next week will be the DevTeach show, which will be the ORM Smackdown. And let's make sure this question is in there. Yep. I'm sure it will be. All right, we have some code camps to mention, as we always do. Yes, coming up uh, this weekend. This let's play the official Code Camp announcement music. Ready? Hit it. All right, we have coming up this weekend, May nineteenth, the West Michigan Day of .net at shrinkster.com slash n one h. There's also the Philly.net Code Camp at oi seven, and we have the Front Range Code Camp in Denver at shrinkster.com slash oqo. And finally, on June twenty third, the Raleigh Code Camp at shrinkster.com slash o one seven. And that's it for Code Camps. Thank you. Thanks for that music there. That was added to the uh, the ambiance of our show, I'm gotta sure. Gotta love it. Uh, we gotta have our fun when we can, folks. Come on. This is dry stuff. Usually. <laughs> Usually. Okay, and I guess you can't really talk about DevTeach because we're at it, but there's still TechEd coming up. Uh, it's gotta be sold out by now, hasn't it? I gotta hope. I checked it today when we were recording, and it wasn't. All right. So June 4th to 8th, Orlando, Florida. You know it. You love it. Come party with us. TechEd US. And, you know, speaking of parties, Richard and I are going to be at the party with Palermo, which uh, we were asked to announce on the show. He wants to get it up to 300 people. Wow. He's looking to get a whole bunch of people there. So if you're at TechEd on June 3rd, 2007, 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. at the Glow Lounge, which you can get to uh, this announcement at shrinkster.com slash OXW. You want to go there, hang out with uh, with Richard and I, and hey, you know, he's looking for more sponsors. .NET Rocks is sponsoring the party, uh, along with some other people that you know and love, other companies. And uh, so we hope to see you there. And that's at International Drive in Orlando, Florida. So awesome. June 3rd, Party with Palermo. It's uh, it's an annual event now. Oh, more than annual. More than annual, because he did it at the MVP Summit. MVP it was Summit. huge. And he did it at Tech Ed Boston last year. Yes. Jeff Palermo, of course, is a, a huge fan of the show, and he's a great developer in his own right. And he uh, came to fame with us by uh, by Skyping us when he was on a tour of duty in Iraq. Yes. Yeah. So, good guy, Jeff awesome. Palermo. And also, we got to talk about the New York tour. Greg Brill, man, he is sucking up people from the .NET Rocks listener base. <laughs> he really, I, I think there's at least 10 people, 10 of our listeners have gone to work for him, and they love it. Awesome. So, uh, the deal is, if you're uh, looking for an interesting time, go to New York City for a year and live rent-free in the city while you work in an exciting field with .NET. A lot of other .NET developers and listeners of .NET Rocks. Go to shrinkster.com slash kh6 for more details. All right, Richard, let's introduce our guest. Rustan Leno is a principal researcher at Microsoft Research, where his research centers around programming tools. 
He is currently working on the design and implementation of the Spec Sharp programming language and its static program verifier. Before joining microspecification problem in ESC Modula 3, before going to graduate school, Lena worked as a software developer and technical lead in Windows NT at Microsoft. He has written code that shipped in release of Windows 3.0, Windows 3.1, and Windows NT 3.5. In his spare time, he plays and records music, teaches step aerobics, and spends time with his wife and four children. Welcome, Rusan. Thank you very much. Nice to have you on the show. Wow, a fellow musician. Yep. What do you play? Uh, well, uh, what day is it? <laughs> I play I play a bunch of instruments. Guitar is my my main love, though, although in the last few years, drums have become my, my passion. Uh-huh. But I also play piano, and I play a few brass instruments and things. But uh, how about you? Uh, I um, probably play keyboards the most, but I play the, the drums regularly, and, and I play the the bass, and I uh, used to play the sax quite a bit, but I don't um, don't so much anymore. We may edit all this out, but we got to talk music for a second. So that's fine. <laughs> yep, that's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to not get in the way here. Musicians are like this sometimes. So, uh, in terms of, um, do you have a home studio? Is this yes, the I deal? Do. Awesome. And your bass? Uh, it's um it's a five string Fender. Sweet. I got this. Believe it or not, I got this Samick five-string huh. bass that um, bang for the buck is amazing. It $200 bass, but it plays like a $1,000 carbon. It's really, oh, really wonderful. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And, of course, I play that through a 1,000-watt Galleon Kruger bass rig <laughs> on, on point five. You know, <laughs> one is painful. That's uh, the way right. it is. If I, if I go, up, go to, up to 11? Yeah. If I go to two, then they start knocking on the door. So. Uh, right. But, wow, what a what a interesting life you're leading here and jumped uh, yeah. into some interesting companies uh the idea of deck slash compact i guess you started with deck that's correct so deck had the this their systems research center or their uh, which was one of the uh three or four research labs that they had over time and the uh, uh i guess it was the, the largest one and um uh, then it um, it morphed into into Compaq when Compaq acquired um, or merged with I can't remember which one it was merged with with Deck in um, 1998 I suppose. So does that and mean HP now owns Deck? That's correct, right? Yeah. So the uh, so they um, so that that happened after I left for for Microsoft Research, but the but they're now HP. And the and the particular systems research center doesn't exist anymore, but the but it was um, a, a really fine laboratory for for many years. And this strikes me as a little out of order. You were working for Microsoft in the Windows three era, obviously, and then went and did your PhD thesis after that. That's correct, right? So I I felt that the um, I I wanted to I I really enjoyed my my life as a developer at Microsoft and. Um, but I wanted to get into into research in the in the long run, and the when the time came, that's um, that's what I what I decided to do. So specifications, uh, program verification, this is really what you seem to love to do. That's right, and actually, that that also uh, when in the group that I was working on working with in in Windows NT, where the, which was the the land manager group, and then it became part of Windows NT. Yeah, I think that we were more disciplined than. Uh, than many of the the programming teams around us, 
uh, doing uh, code reviews and and uh, unit tests and things like that for for all of the the things that we wrote. But one of the things that we that we also did was we we made heavy use of assertions. So we we were using C plus plus at the at the time, which yeah. was fairly new actually at Microsoft at uh, at around that time. Right. And um, and the many assertions that we put into to the program, which of course is, is standard practice by by many, uh, checking things like uh, null dereferences and um, and other kinds of conditions uh, were very helpful. Most of the errors that we found, I think, were were actually found by some sort of uh, assertion that broke at some point. So that that certainly made it uh, made it interesting to to look at those specifications to to see could one actually at compile time verify that those would would actually hold. And the um, and of course I didn't know uh, so much at that point. Maybe it was uh, pretty naive, but the but I think that we've gone quite a ways since then, and um, and a lot of a lot of that stuff we can we can actually just do at compile time these days. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, extended static checking. Mm-hmm. What is this? So extended static checking is uh, it's a phrase that. Uh, I'm guessing uh, Greg Nelson uh, coined. Uh, Greg Nelson was um, was a researcher at uh, at the Systems Research Center when I was there as well, uh, and uh, and Greg had the idea that that we could build on um, on an automatic theorem prover to to use program verification techniques in order to to check simple properties of, of programs, things like null dereferences and the ray index out of bounds um, um, errors and, and things like that. It sounds and, kind of like unit testing. Uh, a little bit like unit testing. And unit testing, I think, was always the, uh, or testing in general, was always the uh, the competitor. Um, so with oh. extended static checking, there were two things that, that set it apart from from program verification. Uh, one thing is that, that it limits the limits the ambitions of what one is actually trying to prove. That is, we're not trying to prove the, the entire correctness of the whole program, which would be a very large task. I see. But it's trying to prove that certain properties hold at certain points. For example, that when you dereference a pointer, that it is not null, uh, or that when you uh, give an index to uh, an index expression to an array, that it is in fact within the bounds. Sort of what the the some of the goo that the framework does for us now, the .NET framework. Exactly, and the framework does that for us uh, uh, at runtime. Yeah. So. Um, uh, but it's the same uh, same ambition of checking. That is, it's sort of simple conditions that you can that you can express in simple Boolean conditions, typically. And uh, so that was one thing of extended static checking, limiting the ambitions. The other thing that set extended static checking apart was that it was not aimed at at necessarily finding all errors in the program. Uh, in um, in the lingo, one says that the the tool is unsound. That is, uh, it. It could miss certain errors, and hmm. and that meant that as a tool designer, you have great freedom in designing which errors should the the tool find and which ones uh, is it okay to miss. And the oh, reason that you'd right. like the reason that you'd like to miss some at some point is that uh, is that it gets very expensive either in terms of CPU cycles or uh, or much more costly in human. Uh, thinking cycles to to add the specifications to the program to really prove that that it does what what you say that it that it's going to. So um, so instead of so therefore trading off the time that the programmer spends, um, you can 
you can instead uh, just say, well, these kinds of errors don't occur so often, and besides, they're, they're really nasty to specify, and so we'll just not uh, not check for those. So those were the two pillars that, that uh, extended static checking um, built on to, to set it aside from program verification in, in general. And this is the and this is something that is going was happening in Java. Uh, in, That's correct. Yeah. We, we uh, the first the first extended static checking project, which uh, which was then led by Greg Nelson, uh, was designed for the Module Three programming language, and um, and after uh, after we had built that for for a number of years, um, we came to a point where where it could uh, perhaps be used by, by others. But at that point, the, the Modular 3 programmers in the world had more or less dried up. So um, that, Java that's, was... That's got to hurt, too. You put <laughs> yeah. all that work into a language and find out everybody walked away while you weren't looking. Uh, right. It's, uh, it's disappointing, especially since Module 3 is actually a very nice language. Sure. Um, but it, I think some of the appeal that it didn't have uh, that... Uh, that made Java break through is the the curly braces, uh, <laughs> as silly as that sounds. Because of curly braces, that's because what of made curly the braces, right? Um, Bertrand Meyer gives me a, a hard time about that in in Eiffel because I I describe SpecSharp as as Eiffel on curly braces with curly <laughs> braces. <laughs> but but I think that the that that really made a difference for uh, for Java, and of course, there was a whole marketing behind it and everything, and and being at the right place, the right time, providing the right sorts of features. So the so we we then changed to uh, to building a, a new project, a new um, new checker, uh, also an extended static checker for Java. And in fact, we we decided to give up on even more errors in ESE Java than we had in in ESE Module Three, just to to try to make the the tool simpler to use. So did that find its way into the .NET framework ever, or was it? Uh, no, the um, uh, it's uh, it's never been part of the .NET framework. But I mean, since it li- lives on the on the Java side, but the but the right. project still goes on uh, today. Uh, with um, it's an open source effort uh, at this point. So so taking that that forward, um, when I had then started at Microsoft Research, I was looking into some other things for for a while. But then it seemed that. Uh, that we should do something with with uh, dynamic execution of contracts and uh, and combining that with static verification of the of the same contract and that is yeah. what um, uh, what brought uh, SpecSharp together. So are you ready for the big news? Telerik is taking the wraps off four new product updates: Rad controls for ASP.NET, Rad controls for WinForms the first official version of the Telerik reporting tool, and a brand new suite codenamed Rad Controls Prometheus. And you guys think I don't sleep. Telerik's tools have always been great, but I think this time they've outdone themselves. Well, here are the details. Prometheus is built on top of Microsoft ASP.NET Ajax, and it'll become the successor of Rad Controls for ASP.NET. Just as ASP.NET Ajax will be the future of ASP.NET, Rad Control's Prometheus represents the future direction of all new Telerik development tools. This new suite of controls will also pave the way for seamless integration with Microsoft Silverlight, formerly WPFE. The WinForm suite aims for the stars with powerful new grid, chart, and tree view controls. For me, it seems like a major player on the WinForms market. Another intriguing addition to Telerik's portfolio this spring is Telerik Reporting. 
The product introduces a new level of development experience, which Telerik collectively calls easeability, a naturally intuitive mouse-only approach to generating Windows, Web, and PDF reports. And if that's not enough, go to www.telerik.com to check out what's new with Telerik's renowned RAD controls for ASP.NET. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about SpecSharp then. What is okay. what is this all about? So SpecSharp is a we think of it as a as a programming system. Uh, that is, it is a programming language, but it also has uh, a number of tools associated with it and a and a discipline for for using the the language, uh, which we call a methodology, a programming methodology. And so the whole programming system um, is a research platform for experimenting with with language language features and specifications. That is. Uh, it allows us to to try out how is it what's it like to use specifications every day. Uh, that is, you have them in the language, you can put them in, you get runtime checks, you can perform static verification. All of it is is right there. It's not that you have to uh, start up some some separate tool and and uh, and think differently in order to to work with that tool. But it's all in in one system, one mindset. Right. Wow, that's interesting. So. I'm looking at SpecSharp, and I realize there's a piece in here called Simplify, uh-huh. which is separate from SpecSharp itself, and it appears to come from Hewlett Packard. Maybe we need to know what Simplify about. Okay, so Simplify is the uh, uh, Simplify is the the theorem prover that that has been used by uh, by SpecSharp and uh, was also used by both of the extended static checking projects. And it's also been used as a theorem prover for, for many other tasks in the, in the research world. In fact, it was also the, the first theorem prover that was used with the, with the SLAM project here at Microsoft Research, which has achieved uh, considerable success in uh, building a tool for C programs that, uh, that find errors in device drivers. Oh, interesting. So mm-hmm. SLAM is for C developers doing static checking, essentially? That's right. It's doing static checking, static uh, checking, and in the particular kind of checking it performs is called model checking, and uh, it works on C programs, and it is targeted especially at uh, smaller C programs, uh, let's say, I mean, up to 50,000 lines, uh, something like that. And in so a great candidate was drivers, obviously. Exactly. And... Uh, what you have to do for such a tool is is provide specifications for uh, for the things that you're checking and the the niche for device drivers is that you can that you can specify those you, you can give those specifications as finite state machines and then you can you can without much programmer intervention at all run the uh, the tool run the whole machinery on a device driver against these uh, rules that that give you uh, that specify how the um, how the device driver is supposed to interact with the kernel, and by doing that, the uh, the project was able to find many different errors in uh, in device drivers. And in fact, it's been developed at this point into into a tool, the the, um, the static driver verifier, which actually uh, ships as part of the uh, the uh, the Windows device driver kit. Wow. So that uh, so that's a that's a story where um, going all the way from research to something that uh, the third-party developers can use um, is, um, I mean, that, that's a long road, and, and they've succeeded real well in, in doing that in, uh, for, for the device driver market. So um, device drivers, I guess, is, as Richard said, and as you were talking about, is where it's at. I've never written a device driver. I imagine that you use C++ for that normally. 
mostly, in fact, I think C is what is used. Or yeah, even C, yeah. Right. And so the contrast for us or compare and contrast the experience of using C uh, versus using C sharp with spec sharp. Um, in, in, in the C language, you don't get much, you don't get much protection from, from the language itself. That is the, uh, there is a type system, but, uh, but most people might laugh at the, at the type system. Uh, yeah, binary type system. Binary types. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Binary types. And, uh, which, and another issue is that you can, you can take the address of, of anything at all. And in fact, C programs do because when they pass large structures around, they, they typically take the address of, of something in the middle of the structure or take the address of local variables and you pass them around as, as parameters. Yeah. And, um, and that means that when, that the, that the verification machinery that you apply to, to such a program must be able to understand those, uh, those pointers and the, and the interactions between them in a different way than, than happens in an object-oriented language. Right. No metadata. It's just a pointer. That's right. No yeah. metadata. Um, yeah. So in, in an object-oriented language, um, in a, and especially a, a type-safe one where, where you have a garbage collector, uh, you, you know that if you if you declare a field x in a class and it's of type integer, you know that any time at all that you that you read from that field, you will get an integer sure. that's um, uh, given by the language. In fact, all of the .NET languages, the the managed code, uh, give you that property, and oh. that's very yeah. very nice to have. So we're yeah we we understand the difference between managed and non-managed code, and I, I guess I'm looking at. I'm looking for like a uh, amount of work that needs to be done in order to, you know, to come up with something that is as safe or as good in C sharp, probably a lot less code in C sharp with spec sharp than in C. Right. I think um, in general, um, well, first of all, C is a, is a smaller language so that mm. one might in that way, Produce a verifier more easily, but on the other hand, it it takes more uh, more programmer effort uh, in general because the you get so little from the language itself. That is, what what you need to provide to the program verifier uh, is not present in the in the program text. But I think that that there's something that distinguishes the the device driver application from from what we're trying to do in, in SpecSharp, and that is that. In the device drivers, you typically don't have dynamic data structures. You hmm. have uh, maybe you have a few pointers lying around, uh, but you're going to have some global locks. Perhaps uh, you're going to have some uh, some global data structures like yeah. integer variables and things like that. Hmm. And and that means that that the the whole mindset around the device driver is is quite different. It's you're you're sitting in a smaller program. Yeah. It's very control oriented. Yeah. Uh, that is, you don't have uh, da- fancy data structures and so forth. Whereas in an object oriented language, you tend to to have a lot of data structures. You have pointers uh, all over. The, the pointers are always safe pointers, in that they point to the beginning of of the the data records of a of an object. Hmm. Uh, but the um, so the mindset I think is different, and that makes it I would say harder to to build. It's harder to build a verifier for for something with dynamic data structures, and yeah. that's not one of the things that we're seeing in SpecSharp. So, so what about performance? I mean, if you're building drivers with uh, with SpecSharp, um, the the performance generally is 
is quite good in the um, in what the um, well certainly at, at runtime you get you get some overhead of of doing uh, some additional checks sure. but the um, but the static verification is on the whole performs pretty well but there are many outliers that that can take um, minutes uh, hours days mm. um, to to verify and and of course what we're trying to do in the in the research project is is tone those down so that the yeah. so that you can get better performance overall. Oh, okay, and 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 of course you're obviously you wouldn't be doing this if you didn't think it was worth it. That's correct. Yeah, and the benefits are obvious. Your case with device drivers is so great. It's not a lot of code, but it's vital code. It That's correct. It has to be correct. It impacts everything when it isn't. Right. And right. I, and I've met a lot of video drivers that reinforce this. Yeah. Uh, yes, indeed. Audio. <laughs> yeah. So it's just the kind of thing you want to put those extra miles into to make sure that it's catching, you know, unexpected values whenever possible. It's probably That's a good right. thing to be sending out to all those hardware vendors that are busy scrambling to get their Vista drivers out. Yeah. Indeed. I'm, I right. I'm going to be sending out a lot of links in, after the show. Me here. too. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> you guys need to read this and then do it. Yeah. So, I, getting back to the to the Simplify Theorem Prover. Okay. Uh, so, the Simplify Theorem Prover was then developed for the extended static uh, checking projects at um, at Beck and Compaq. And uh, and that's what we've been using also in SpecSharp until uh, well, in fact, we are still using it. But we have a new a new theorem prover that is that is built here at at Microsoft Research, which is um, now finally after uh, ten years and and more of uh, of reign by by Simplify as the, being the the best kind of theorem prover for for these sorts of things. That the new theorem prover here. Uh, which we're using internally is is a great deal faster, orders of magnitude faster. And so this the, is what you call boogie. Uh, no, in fact, the uh, the the theorem prover, the new theorem prover here is called Z3. Oh, okay. Huh. And um, so boogie is the is the name of the of the SpecSharp static verifier, uh, okay. which then takes uh, compiled SpecSharp programs. That is um, um, the um, it takes IL uh, .NET IL. And um, uh, and the metadata that we put in when we compile the SpecSharp programs, and it uh, and it produces verification conditions from uh, from those programs, and it, the verification conditions are then um, logical formulas, typically very large logical formulas, and those are passed to the theorem prover. And uh, we've we've been using Simplify then um, and still are, but but we're switching toward uh, using Z3. I get it. Okay. So yeah, the boogie is the thing that calls to these uh, theorem provers to, uh, That's right. to decide that things are correct. Right, and boogie is also the the engine that that understands uh, the semantics of of SpecSharp programs. Simplifies had incredible persistence. You've been using it for more than ten years. Yes, and that's a lot of languages ago. Yeah. Indeed, right. It's uh, several languages ago. That's uh, predating the .NET framework entirely. Right. I, I think it's been right. It's been it's been a very very good tool for, uh, especially for doing various kinds of program analysis, program verification, and and I think it's perhaps surprising that that other theorem provers have not tried to uh, to home in on that particular market, if you will. Um, but the but I suppose they're coming, um, and Z3 is one, and there are there are a number of other ones out there as well. 
but the uh, in my opinion um simplify has been has been much better for that sort of thing because it was tuned for for program verification and right. um uh and maybe we had i mean many more benchmarks and the and those those benchmarks were were the only ones that i mean that that mattered in in the in the development of the of the tool essentially and uh, the z3 is now in a similar position that that it's using all of the uh, all of the verification conditions that we produced from from boogie uh, for example um and uh, and is therefore being tuned to to work really well on those what kinds of things don't you do in c sharp that you do in spec sharp well, for for one, I think the the first thing that that you notice as uh, as a, a C sharp developer that starts using Spec Sharp is that is that Spec Sharp has non null types. What that means is that in the type system, you can you can say that the that the type of your object, uh, the, the type of your variable is such that it will n- never contain the value null. Okay. So ah. I'm the data guy, so nulls are very personal to me. <laughs> yes, <that's> right. <laughs> and do you dereference them? <laughs> I try not to. <laughs> you try not to. With, with SpecSharp makes that easier, uh, that is not dereferencing them. And the reason is, if you take a, let's take a simple example. Suppose that you have a method that takes a string as an argument. Well, if you're going to do something with that string, presumably you want that string to be a non-null string. You don't right. want uh, the caller to pass in null. Well, all you need to do in, in SpecSharp is to declare the type of it to be a non-null string. And that is, the type of the parameter to be a non-null string. And, uh, huh. and that's all. And this will now check that all callers pass in something that is of, of the appropriate type. In other right. words, something that is not null. So it's, um, we think that the, the non-null type system uh, in SpecSharp has worked out really well. And the, the difficulties with such a type system is what to do with initialization. One thing that you definitely want to do is declare some of your fields in a class to be non-null. In order for that to be type safe, you must make sure that any time that your program reads the field, it, it has a value of its type. Yeah. Well, in general, in .NET, that's handled quite nicely because uh, everything is just zero-initialized when, uh, when the object is created. But right. Zero initializing a non-null field is exactly what you don't want to do. Right. So that means that in the language we need to prevent code from from reading those fields before um, before they're initialized. And the solution is very simple. Uh, if you have a non-null field, you have to initialize that before you call the the base class constructor. Now that's not something that you can do in in um, in C sharp in general. You can write an initializer for such a field. For example, if you, if you want to always allocate one object that you stick into it from the very beginning, that is then executed before you call the base class constructor. But, uh, but in general, you want to use the parameters passed to the constructor when you then construct the, um, the values for the fields. So what we, do, what we do in SpecSharp is simply we allow you to call the base class constructor anytime, uh, anywhere inside the constructor. That means that you can first assign hmm. uh, you can first assign to the fields of of the object that you're constructing, and then you call the base class constructor, and then only when you come back from that call can you um, can you uh, work with the the object that you're constructing uh, fully. That is the only thing that you can do with the object you're constructing before calling the base class constructor is initialize its fields. I see. So 
And if they, if you haven't had a proper set of initialization and you're dealing with these non-nulls, I've got to think that coming out of the constructor, you're going to raise an error. Uh, that's correct. And what we do is we find, uh, we we catch those errors statically. That is, our compiler, our type checker uh, catches those. Okay, so at compilation time, I'm going to know I haven't handled the field initialization properly for the, in this constructor. Exactly. What I do when, when I write um, my own spec sharp, which of course I do, um, the, uh, is that I run Visual Studio in the mode, in the spec sharp mode, which is the, the native spec sharp mode. In, in doing so, I actually give up a great deal of the, of the whiz-bang features of, of C sharp for, um, for Visual Studio, which are like the refactoring and, and things like that. And that's because we've, we've had to write this mode ourselves. But oh, I one see. Thing but one thing that I get, which I think is is very nice, which I um, I wish were um, were available for for all programmers in whatever language they used, is to have the non-null type checks appear as the as little red squigglies uh, under under things. Uh, just sure. like in Microsoft Word, I I type something and I I misspell it and I get the little red squiggly, or yeah. I get the parse error in in uh, C sharp. Here we also you get the parse the little red squigglies for for the null. Uh, for the, the type errors, um, including the ones, the type errors that you get from non-nulls. So it's kind of like IntelliSense. Exactly. Yeah. And you get it, you get it instantly as you, as you, uh, author your, your program. And that I find to be tremendously valuable. Yeah, well, you know nice. when to stop coding, when all the squigglies disappear. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> then you're done. Right. <laughs> that is a really interesting idea. And I think we, we have a good time also having a discussion around your challenges of developing this off the side of Studio while Studio is also a moving target. Yes, uh-huh. It, it, uh, one thing that we have found is that um, the, the way that you hook into Visual Studio is uh, Visual Studio gives each compiler a lot of freedom in, in what it can do within Visual Studio. Uh, which is which can be really great, especially if you develop a very different language or want to have control over everything yourself. Um, but for us, being a research project, and we don't have all that many people, uh, I mean, who are working and programming on on the uh, on the project, uh, we then have to to reinvent a lot of things that that we wish that we could just reuse from from C sharp. Right. right. Uh, and especially yeah. when we then glare over and uh, I mean see the, the very nice things that they're, that they're doing with C sharp in, in Visual Studio, uh, <laughs> and that's something that, that that we I mean we don't even do indentation. So when you when you put put down a, a close curly brace, you'd better indent that code yourself, um, <laughs> which is which is a pity. But um, but. Uh, right, so that so we currently support Visual Studio 2005, and it took some effort uh, for us to go from 2003 to 2005. But now we've been on 2005 for so long that uh, that we we really haven't updated the, the 2003 uh, support anymore either. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Developer Express. Developer Express, crafting first-class tools, frameworks, and controls for the .NET developer. Improve your experience online at www.devexpress.com. So the static uh, declarations, uh, what, what do they look like to the programmer? Well, the, the normal type declarations come in two different flavors. Um, the one flavor is that, that when you just write a type like string, you get the possibly null string, just like you get in, in C-sharp today. Mm-hmm. I love that. In, yeah, possibly, possibly null. null. Yeah. <laughs> right. It might be this. How far are we from quantum computing here, really? <laughs> <laughs> really? 
So what you what you have to do in that mode is you have to put an exclamation point, a, a bang after the type. So then you would write string bang or t bang or or my class bang when you when you want the non-null version. Right. But depending on your program style, programming style, it's probably better to switch the defaults around so that when you just write string, you mean the non-null string. Um, again, right. It depends on some people use a programming style where where lots of things can be really be null, um, but um, my sense is that the is that that the more prevalent programming style is that most most pointers most references are actually non-null, and in that case you we have a command line switch that lets you just switch the default so that when you write string you mean the non-null string and then you have to write string question mark uh, to to be mean the the nullable version of it uh, just like you do with uh, with int bang uh, int question mark for example in in C sharp today if you want the nullable uh, int variable. Are there concurrency issues with uh, with using Spec Sharp? Yes. What what we try to do is we support um, concurrency, a particular discipline of using um, uh, of writing concurrent programs. We have developed that d- discipline, that methodology in in research papers that we've read, but we don't actually have that that version implemented in in our. Uh, in our spec sharp that we produce here at Microsoft Research, but a another graduate student, a graduate student at the University of Leuven in Belgium, uh, who has been our summer intern here before, he has uh, developed a, a special version of C sharp, a special version of spec sharp that uh, that treats concurrency, and in fact uh, that has been his PhD thesis. So the so that version of spec sharp is also available uh, on the net. Uh, to um, uh, to download, but the and we would like to to roll that into our version as well uh, in some way, but we we just have not found time to do it. So we're not just talking about types here and data types. What else? What else are we talking about? Well, SpecSharp includes pre and post conditions, for example, that that you decorate each method with. Um, so as you as part of writing a, a method signature, you include the, the names of the parameters and the types of the parameters and the return type. But in SpecSharp, you also include, if you'd like, a pre and post condition. So the precondition is, is a condition that is, that the caller is responsible for establishing before calling the method. Uh, let me give a simple example. Okay. If you, um, uh, if the method takes two integer parameters, x and y, you might want to say, that uh, you require as a precondition that x is less than y. So what you would do then in the SpecSharp program is you would write uh, your method, the method signature as usual, and then you would say requires x less than y. So x less than y is just another, it's a Boolean expression of the language. So every programmer knows how to write those. There's no, right. no special uh, syntax required for, for those. You just use the requires keyword and you give the, uh, the Boolean condition. And same thing for, for post conditions. If you want to say, for example, that, that if the X parameter is less than zero, then the result value will be not null. You can, you can write that as a, uh, as just a Boolean expression and you put ensures in front of it, which says that it's a post condition. So those, okay. the pre and post conditions are generated into, our compiler generates code from the pre and post conditions. So that you get the dynamic checking for for those, uh, which which is a very easy way to get started because all you need to do is put these things into your program. You record your design decisions in this way by by writing down 
that you say no one should call me, uh, no one should call this method without first establishing uh, such and such a condition. And you get the runtime checks. Then optionally, you can then run our static program verifier, which is called Boogie. And if you if you run Boogie, you will then at compile time attempt to um, to prove that your program lives up to all preconditions of the of the methods that it calls and that it establishes the post conditions of the of the methods themselves. Okay. I'm just enjoying the heck out of this. It's got so much potential, and yeah. I really like the fact that you've hit three you know different opportunities to make a difference to our code there's that whole the whole runtime or the whole uh, edit time piece of catching the squigglies as we're going uh-huh, then there's yep. a compile time with boogie where are we actually getting in within these limits and then actually at runtime to have both you know bad va- catches for bad values coming in which we could have coded ourselves but this is a better way of doing it cuz yep. it's declarative yep. and also the output of our own calls to say you know somehow you came up with a number that should be outside of the spectrum so i'm going to catch it here rather than hand it on and try and diagnose later what right. went wrong exactly that's that's the intention so what we're hoping is that as we as we write new programs with with the specification constructs available to us in the language, we can write more and more of those things down in the program, which means we get more checking along all of those dimensions that, that you mentioned. Um, I, yeah, you really haven't set any limits here, per se. I, I'm fascinated by the fact that you're extending C-sharp here in such a simple way, really, taking all of what's already in C-sharp and saying, let's add a few constructs that ultimately derive new code. Right. That's right. Yeah. So the, if, if you look at the documentation of, uh, of .NET, of the framework, you, you find all of these exception tables. And the, the exception tables typically say, if you pass in the following bad parameter values, then you get the, the following exception thrown at you. So those are preconditions. Um, and, but instead of declaring them, um, instead of writing code for for checking when the condition does not hold and then throwing an exception in those cases, what you just do in SpecSharp is just declare as a precondition that this is the condition that you that you should live up to before calling the method. Right. So um, that that also becomes a style, I think, of the. Uh, of application programs, that application programs can write their own if statements in this way. But sometimes it can it can be less disciplined than than we would like, or sure. or we say, do we really want to write code for that? Whereas if you have the the, the requires declaration in the language, you you feel so much more compelled to just reach out and and put down the the thing that you're thinking at the time that you're authoring the code. And, and I'm now thinking the next step, which is I'd love to see how this showed up in reflection, that I would be able to ask a method for its bounds like that. Uh, that would be very nice. That's the, the reflection part of the, what you're suggesting there is something we have not addressed at all. Um, and how, how is, do you intend to, or, or, or is it we had not addressed it on this, in this talk? <laughs> um, uh, let's see. So, well, I'm just trying to find something for you to do for the next couple of years. Or <laughs> yeah, that's right. We, 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 <laughs> you we have not addressed to, it in spec sharp is what you meant to say. We have not addressed it in, in spec sharp. That it's is, not that we haven't talked about it. Okay. Uh, right. So, more or less, uh, we've, we have not thought very much about how reflection, uh, place together with the with the other constructs that, that we have right um, and in fact I mean reflection is is very 
is a nice dynamic feature, but the um, but it complicates uh, static verification. And among the research problems that that we have uh, that we're looking at in trying to do static verification, the um, th- there are many other ones that that are that have been more difficult and more prevalent that we have looked at at first, and that will surely occupy us for um, for a long time. Well, and, and uh, it's. I was really thinking of it in terms of here's another great reason why we like declarative constructs like this, that it makes it feasible for us to create remote tools looking into these uh, objects and get back more information than just their parameter list. I mean, Reflection is already showing us a parameter list and, and data types and so forth, but to be able to add in those constraints as well uh, just seems very potent to me. Right. So... I'm a C-sharp programmer, and I've been listening to the show, and I love the idea of SpecSharp, and you've already hinted to me I'm going to have to give something up like uh, refactoring. What does it take for me to take advantage of SpecSharp? We've, we've thought a great deal about, um, about the migration path from, from C-sharp into SpecSharp. Uh, when we started thinking about that, I think we were, we were thinking of SpecSharp as as a language that, that people might want to migrate to in the in the long run. What I think at this point is that is that SpecSharp is that test bed for, for new features and the and the good ones can be brought into C sharp or other languages in the future. However, if you are a programmer uh, who would like to try out our, our features, uh, we provide one mode that, that lets you both take advantage of SpecSharp and uh, still um, hold on to your C-sharp program and all of the good refactoring and, and other features of, of Visual Studio for C-sharp. And that is that the, the extra specifications the, that you put into the program, the, the requires and ensures declarations, for example, that you can put those in special commons. So if you, if you write your C-sharp program, and uh, and you want to write a precondition, instead of just blurting out the, the keyword requires, which, of course, the C-sharp compiler would not understand, yeah. you put it in a special comment that begins with a caret. So, for example, you would say slash slash caret, and then uh, that's a comment that, that the C-sharp compiler will ignore, and then you would say requires, and then you say whatever condition uh, you want to, to have as your precondition. What does this remind me of? Uh, <laughs> pragma constructs. Yes, in fact, it is. Uh, it's it's very much like a pragma construct, and the um, in the uh, in the ESE Java tool, for example, and uh, and in the um, Modular three tool, uh, the um, ESE Modular three tool, we also use similar uh, similar pragmas, and in fact, such pragmas are also used in in the um, uh, Java modeling language in general for for Java. Right, maybe that's where I've seen them. Was uh, or, or it might have been. I, I'm not really a, was ever a Modula three guy, but I did spend time in those old languages. It just rang a bell way back. <laughs> so, so what the so that means that the um, so that means that the C sharp programmer can uh, can install uh, can can install Spec Sharp and then continue programming in C sharp and then whenever um, and then set up the the project. Uh, the C-sharp project to turn on contracts on. So we, we give an, an extra little dialogue in the project, um, the project settings of every, every C-sharp project. And if you turn on contract checking, then you don't get the red squigglies as you go along in the C-sharp mode. Um, but when you hit the compile button, uh, then, uh, then you get all the checking that, uh, that we provide. You can either run uh, just the, the spec sharp compiler and type checker, 
or you can also run the the static verifier as as part of your your compile. And when you do that, the essentially what happens is the C# -sharp compiler will first compile your your program, uh, ignoring all of the all of the extra markup that you have provided. Yeah, all in, those comments, as far as it's concerned. Exactly. And then immediately when the C# -sharp compiler finishes, the Spec# -sharp compiler uh, compiles the program. Uh, peeking into those all of those special comments and treating those as just as if they were uh, first class uh, uh, spec sharp constructs. Right. And the the spec sharp compiler will then produce uh, an uh, an assembly, a DLL or an XE that is just going to overwrite the the one that was produced by the C sharp compiler. Now, am I and, still going to get that run uh, edit time, you know, squiggly effect in this mode? No, you don't. The, uh, so that's what, tough. You, you will get the squigglies only when you only after the compile finishes. Right. So that is not as your um, not at design time yeah, as you're typing in your program. Time. Right. That's the that's the trade off. But the, but the advantage is that you can you can use this with with the C sharp programs today. And you can set the the mode, the non-null mode, to your liking. That is, if you think that most of your of your references are are to be non-null, then set it for that. Otherwise, you you get more work to do to begin with. Um, and then you can get the uh, the dynamic contract checking that that SpecSharp provides. And then if you get tired of our research prototype or say, heck with contracts, I'm going to live uh, live dangerously. If that was live a life fun. wild and free. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then uh, you. Um, you pull the plug on us right away by just uh, by just uh, unchecking the the contracts um, box in the um, uh, in your project settings, and we're out of your hair. Right now, I got to think as a research guy, getting this technology into the core product. I was just going to ask that. Got to be a goal. Yes, indeed. Um, like, I'd love to see these features in C Sharp. I mean, not that I mind the concept of having Spec Sharp and so forth, but why have both? Why can't we just have it all? I, I would um, love for <laughs> you and all of the other listeners to try out Spec Sharp and and prod the uh, the C Sharp and uh, .NET teams to uh, for ask them for these sorts of features, especially uh, the ones that that you find useful. Would it be implemented through attributes, custom attributes? Do you think there are several different ways that that our technology could make it into the to the hands of the of the mainstream languages and the the mainstream uh, CLR? Uh, one uh, one way that it that it could make it in there is is for these features to be uh, included in C sharp. Um, for some of the features that we have would be simple to include in, in C-sharp. Some of them uh, would take a little bit more work. Or the non-null types, for example, is something that, that really would require support, not just from, from each language, but probably from, from the whole CLR, um, which means that then we're talking about all of the languages, um, all of the .NET languages switching to or at least supporting some kind of form of non-null types, okay. which, which would be a major effort. Uh, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't think about that. We should continue pushing in that direction, too. But one exciting thing that, that we're doing uh, is that we're, we're talking to some people in the, uh, in the BCL team, in the base class library team, oh. to, to try to roll in uh, our kinds of uh, preconditions into, uh, into the BCL. Now, what, what that might mean is, I mean, if, if this um, were to work out, uh, is, that, is that when you, when you ask for a tooltip, you, you 
you move your cursor on top of something, then you would see not just the, the signature of a, of a method, but you would, you would see its whole contract. You would see the requires and insurers declarations right, right there in the tooltip. Um, and that's something that, that we could easily do if the, if the specifications are put in there in a way that, that's not just code, that is, they're stylized um, in some sort of way. Of course, the easiest way to do that is to, uh, is to, to use SpecSharp and put them in there. And what we would do is we would actually add the metadata. Our compiler would add the metadata uh, that you can reconstruct, for example, the tooltips and, and things like that from, or that, that other third-party tools could use to, uh, to read what the preconditions are. But, but we don't have those features in, in, the, lang- in the, the mainstream languages at this point. So we're, we're working on, um, on trying to develop other ways that um, that the that these things can actually become part of the uh, of the the standard BCL, and I think that if if programmers could see that every day, if they get the tooltips and they see the requires and ensures declarations on every call, they would be uh, really tempted to put them put them in themselves. Hmm. Um, and at that point, if we don't have language support for uh, for pre and post conditions, uh, that would be um, a, a great time to to add that into into the main languages. There's quite a bit of uh, documentation and uh, even some training, some webcasts and things on your on your site. Um, by the way, SpecSharp can be found at shrinkster.com slash OBX. And uh, lots of docs, the, of these, a lot of them you wrote yourself and a lot of them you collaborated on with a team. There's a SpecSharp team. Uh, that's right. So we, we have a team of of researchers and and RSDs uh, that is the research software design engineers uh, mm-hmm. who have collaborated so over over the years um and we started i think in the 19 um 1993 i think is when we started um so over the uh since about 1993 we've we've had something like 20 different people uh, working on on different parts of the system but of course the the steady the core group uh, is much smaller than that, um, okay. and in fact, um, it's um, uh, often uh, two people or uh, or a few more, depending on depending on the day or the week. We do have documentation out there, although we we constantly get requests for for more documentation for uh, for many different uh, many different features that that we have put in and, and so forth. So we we struggle a little bit to to keep up with the with the needs of the documentation, but. Um, but we we have a SpecSharp mailing list where we where we try to answer questions um, and mm. many of the uh, the things that that have not gone into documentation uh, come up as as answers on on that mailing list. You also have a link to a thing called Splint. What's that? Ah, um, uh, yes. Let's see. Um, so Splint is a is a successor of of a successful tool called LCLint. Um, LC Lint is a Lint-like tool for uh, for C programs, and I believe that it is used in in uh, parts of the um, parts of the Linux uh, source distribution for um, uh, for checking properties of of those uh, programs. Uh, now it doesn't it doesn't actually do program verification, uh, it but it checks for common errors in in C code, bounds checking and, and memory leaks and things like that. Uh, uh, of that nature, a little bit, yeah. uh, but the but the checks don't tend to be as strong. Hmm. Um, it's also Splint, multiple platforms. It's available for Linux and for a whole bunch of other platforms here. Right, 
And Splint is a uh, is a successor of of that tool. Uh, it's um, uh, in um, in a different different research project. Okay. Well, we're just about at the end of the show, and um, while uh, you know my head hurts a little bit, I think I was just barely hanging on there. That was <laughs> pretty good for a VB programmer, I think. All right. <laughs> thank you very much for uh, for joining us. Well, thank you, and uh, please try out SpecSharp at your next available moment. Okay, and we will see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.